Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 12 through 26, which you will find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles at page 166 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O God, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If, he, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged, to the bo- arranged the body, given the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may, may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member su- suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It, it is so fitting on a morning like this that we're talking about community. We're talking about community, and for the last, uh, this is the second Sunday, we've been talking about this theme of that we're created for community, and I want to speak to you about belonging, belonging, and my goal during this entire series is to help us rediscover the beauty of God's church as a community. The word that we heard last week, if you were here, was the word devotion, And if you weren't here, that's okay. You could go on our website and you could um, watch the service or listen to the podcast and hear us talk about the power and the beauty of devotion. The early Christians were devoted and they were devoted to a set of practices that helped to form them. And it was out of those practices that they were able then to make such a huge dent, make such a difference for the kingdom of God in their time. But this morning, I want to speak to you about belonging. Belonging. Every church has an environment, has a culture 
Next week, we're going to talk about the soil. Every church has a soil, a culture, an environment that helps us feel like this is where we belong. Devotion. Last week, belonging. Now, there's a lot of negative news about the church today. And there are people who are dropping like flies and they're saying, I don't want to be a part of a church anymore. For many, many reasons. The news about the church, particularly in North America and in places in the West, it's not very encouraging. These days, as we try to reach people for Christ, as we try to grow people up in the faith, as we try to send them out to be witnesses for Christ, it's becoming increasingly difficult because of the perception that people have about the church, and some of it is really true. When we think about belonging, it's often then obstructed by these, by these issues. Let me list a few of them, and, and you will recognize them immediately. These are what, you, these are what I call these, these obstacles that prevent us from feeling that sense of belonging. So we've all experienced or seen abusive, corrupt leadership in the church. We've seen a culture of narcissism in many places, spiritual immaturity, busyness, focusing on the wrong mission, putting the development of programs ahead of the development of people, traditionalism. And when I use the word traditionalism, I'm thinking with the small t. And then another one is division. We sometimes imagine that our culture is divided, which is true, but there is division within the church. And this morning, I know many of you are here today because you love God and you love God's church, and many of you care about first prayers. And that's one of the reasons why I want to encourage all of us, if you would take some time this coming week and read the first two letters, the first two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. I call them a must read. Read the letters and you will quickly discover two things. You will rediscover the beauty of God's church, but you will also discover the pettiness that can be in God's church. Because you see, this church, and, and Rafi just read about them, this congregation they had both. They had this beauty about them, and then they were mired in pettiness. But if I were to put my finger on the number one thing that was obstructing the church's ability to build this sense of belonging, it was this very viral outbreak of divisiveness, bitter arguments, schisms, and it affected how they worshiped. They couldn't eat a meal without having problems. They couldn't do the Lord's Supper without having problems. Division just racked that church up and down and prevented them from building the kind of community that God was calling them to, to, to be and to do. And they were also sort of turning a blind eye when there were moral problems in the church. Rather than acting as one body, when they met together, they brought harm to each other. Division is a terrible thing. It can destroy a family. It can destroy a church. 
Any organization, any organization that you think of where division is missing, that, that organization, that community will suffer. And instead of the church being a place where people are uplifted, where people are built up, the experience that these folks were having in the church of Corinth where people were being brought down, people were being discouraged, people were feeling disoriented and disconnected. And when you are in a culture where those emotions are rampant, it's pretty soon that people will begin to wonder, should I stay or should I go? And so chapter 12, which we didn't read the whole chapter, is one of those efforts on Paul's part to sort of reset the table and to sort of move the church in the right direction. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, how Paul, through his letters, his writings, and through his visits, he was able to help the church to move from that place of division to a place of trust, to a place of belonging. And what does he do? First of all, he reminds them that they belong to the one body of Christ. That's a good reminder, isn't it? We're not our own. The church is more than a building. We are the body of Christ. It's as if Paul is saying, look, you're on the same team. You're wearing the same colors, quit. Cut it out. Why this division? Every team member, every person is important. And I can testify to that because for many years of my life, my teenage years up through my, my 30s and 40s, I was an avid, avid basketball player. Played in high school, played in college, played after college. And while I enjoyed winning games and winning championships, my greatest experience being on those teams often, and sometimes it was my worst experience, it had to do with the culture and the quality and the sense of the people on that team. Everyone knew they were important. Not everyone got to play, but everyone knew they were part of the team. And I remember those years. And as I was working on these words I wanted to share with you, I started thinking back on what is it that was so special about being on those teams. And what came back to my mind was the fact that we as team members, we didn't make excuses. There was no whining. There was no pettiness. People on many of the teams I played on, we rolled up our sleeves and we knew we had a job to do. And even when we lost games, and we lost a lot of games sometimes, we took it as a team and we tried to figure out how do we get better? How do we win that next game? But you know, the biggest thing I remember about those teams is that we had fun. And if I see these guys from way, way back, it's as if I just saw them yesterday. We enjoyed being with each other. We had a sense of belonging. But in the Corinthian church that we're reading about, team spirit was low. Partisanship was going through the roof. And to help them, Paul said, here's what you guys need to do. And as I said, the first thing he presents to them is an object lesson. He says, look, you and the work that you're doing is not dissimilar from what your body and how your body functions. 
And you say, well, why would he tell them that? It's a very simple analogy. Anyone here in the room gets it. The human body has many, many organs. The human body is complex. It is, it is glorious. And all these organs, the, the ones that are visible, the ones that are not visible, they all work together. And when all the parts of your body are cooperating, when all the parts of your body are healthy and doing well, and if I walk up to you today and say, how are you doing? You're going to say, I'm feeling great. But pick up a splinter in your finger, stub your toe, sprain your ankle, strain your back, wake up with a stomach ache. As I did a, a week ago, I was doing some yard work, a speck gets into your eye, you are miserable. And that's what Paul is pointing out here in, the, in our reading in verses 15 through 17. He just states some very, very basic facts that even a two-year-old could understand. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And he says the same thing about the eyes and the ears to demonstrate again how glorious, how complex the body is and that all the organs, all the parts of the human body are needed for the body to function in an effective way. And then he makes this point in a related way. One of the sad things that we inflict on ourselves and it's happening today. I see it on social media. I see it in the news. I talk to teenagers. One of the sad things that, that's happening today is this practice of body shaming. Body shaming. And it happens in two ways. Sometimes we are not happy with the bodies that we have and we, we, we downgrade our bodies. We judge ourselves and we compare ourselves to other people. And we devalue the beautiful bodies that God gave us because of some fake standard of beauty that the society imposes on us. Body shaming, though, also comes not just from us. We, we have problems with our bodies. There are things about ourselves that we don't like. But other people help us also. There are people who are just downright mean. And they will mock and they will tease and they will bully and they will criticize your parents. And you know, when people feel shamed because of their looks, when people don't feel good because of how they look, maybe the nose or the head or the hands or the feet or, or more weight than other people or too tall or too short, when, when people don't feel good about themselves, they feel ugly inside. They tend to feel isolated and they tend to be alone. I want to suggest to you this morning that in, in the church, there was a bit of church body shaming that was going on in Corinth a lack of appreciation for the diversity and the value of everyone in this community. How did it show up, you say? Well, it showed up in the form of an attitude of, spirit, of, of superiority, an attitude of superiority. And Paul is still using the analogy here. He says, the eye, who thinks the eye is the most important part of the body, cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. I don't need you. You don't cut it. You don't belong. These are the attitudes that emanate from a lack of grace. 
These are the attitudes that come from a place of insecurity, a place where, where people feel superior to other people, where that ego elevates some and demotes others. We do it all the time. We do it all the time, church. We shower attention on the important people and we ignore those we think are inconsequential. We do it all the time. And in every culture, sinful human nature tends to prioritize and give preferential treatment for some people and not to others. We've all been there. You didn't get picked. You got cut. You got overlooked. And then this other person got in. You know, the adult class that's studying the book of James right now, they, last week I was in the class, and they were literally talking about this attitude of superiority in the church that dismisses others and elevates others. And they read from the book of James. And let me just read the line that they were discussing last week. For if a person with gold rings dressed up in fine clothes comes into your community, your assembly, and then if a poor person comes in dressed in dirty clothes, and if you take notice of the person who is wonderfully dressed, dazzling with diamonds and gold, and you say, oh, we're so glad to see you, come, have a seat here. While the person who has nothing, the clothes isn't right, maybe isn't smelling too good, and you say to that person, you stand out in the narthex, or you can come, but you come and sit at my feet. James says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So Paul is criticizing them for not recognizing that the body is one. And he's, he's criticizing this attitude of superiority, but he's also criticizing an attitude of inferiority. And it's not as explicit, but in verse 22, he says these words. He mentions the, the members of the body that seem to be weaker, whether it is out of perception, whether it is out of, of, out of we're calling ourselves inferior. Paul is calling that out, the parts of the body that seem to be inferior, seem to be weaker, he says, they are indispensable. How else does the scripture help us to combat this body shaming, this defeat of community within that church? He reminds them that the church is not a human organization. He reminds them of these words, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Notice, notice how many times one is mentioned, all is mentioned. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And notice this, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. Notice those social categories, all, all were made to drink of that one spirit. And so when you think about those identity markers that sometimes make us feel so important or make us so unimportant, Paul says in the church it really doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Greek or you're a slave or you're free, we're the church together. And those things should never be barriers for inclusion and membership in the life of a church. 
Two more things he does. Paul then shows them how much God loves diversity. You know, God didn't, could have chosen vanilla. God could have chosen monochrome. God could have chosen sameness. But God arranged, Paul says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God has so arranged the body. God loves diversity. But the third thing, and the final thing here is that God loves interdependence. I call it the politics of belonging. The politics of belonging. That in today's world, only certain people get mentioned. Only certain people get promoted. Only certain people get noticed. And we call them celebrities. But in the church, the politics of belonging works in a totally different way. In a totally different way, we celebrate, we celebrate the members of the body and we welcome them. We clothe them with greater honor and we care for them. And what happens when a church begins to move from, from division, from, from superiority and inferiority and beginning to begin to say we belong together? What happens to that church? Paul says that that church there will no longer be any dissension within the body. I love that. We're going to give more grace to each other. We're going to try to be more patient with each other. We will speak the truth in love to each other. And the members, Paul says, will have the same care for one another. So much so, he says, that if one member suffers, all suffer together with that member. If one member is honored, and didn't you feel proud looking at these kids who were here this morning? We ought to feel proud for them because they're part of who we are. We're celebrating their achievements, celebrating somebody getting a doctorate, celebrating all the good that's going on in each other's lives. But when there are bad things happening, we don't look away. This is our moment then to grieve and to suffer with that person. And I'm telling you this morning, I don't know about you, but I would rather be in a church like this than in any other church in the world. Give me this kind of church. I don't care about flashy programs. Give me this kind of church, even if the church is small. Give me a church where people welcome each other, support each other, love each other, care for each other, and create this healthy soil of belonging. I want to be in that church. But you know why that's important? Because when we live that way, we are more like Jesus. And the world is looking for places where there is belonging. Yesterday, yesterday, in Buffalo, New York, America registered its 198th mass shooting this year alone. Buffalo, New York, 18-year-old avowed white supremacist wearing army fatigues, strapped with enough weaponry to start a little war, walks into a supermarket in Buffalo, New York on a Saturday afternoon when people go into the supermarket on a Saturday. We were in the supermarket yesterday picking up stuff 
You know, we're in the graduation season. Maybe somebody walked in there to pick up a cake that they had ordered. Walked in there to get some eggs or who knows what. And this young man, who doesn't even live in Buffalo, drove all the way from another community, all the way to Buffalo, New York, and started spewing obscenities, had the N-word written on his weapon as he shot and fired indiscriminately in that supermarket, a supermarket that was filled with mostly African Americans, black people. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for these families. I want you to pray for our city of Chicago. These are scary times. This past week in Dallas, Texas, three different Asian American businesses were shot up. Why? We're living in a scary time. And that's why I'm saying to you, the church, friends, we cannot mimic what the world is doing. We should be leading the church in what it means to belong. We should be leading the church in practicing the politics of belonging. It has nothing to do with the color of your skin. It has nothing to do with how much education you have. It has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank. It has nothing to do with who you know. The door is wide open. Jesus says, whosoever will. When Jesus died on the cross, his hands were spread out, and I want to believe his hands are spread out in many ways to say that he's dying for the whole world. He's dying for the whole world. And what is it that's wrong with our culture? What is it that's wrong with our churches when we cannot create and manifest that culture of belonging? And it has everything to do with our sinful nature. We need to humble ourselves. We need to get on our knees. We need to give up our exceptionalism. Just because we're Americans, we think we're all that. We need to give all of that up and begin to identify with the politics of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you want to be great, learn to be a servant. Serve. And that's what's missing. And this is a moment in this American culture. This is a moment for the church to redeem herself, not being a money-grubbing institution, not being an institution that only cares about buildings, but actually cares about people, that actually welcomes people, that actually builds people up. This is a moment for us that we don't want to lose in this time. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you and remind you that we're greater than the sum of our parts. That this is how God made the church. Just as you see it here, God has a sense of humor. You walk into that room over there and you look at the, 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 the 11 pastors who have served this church. And for that time and for that era, they're all white men. All men. And then, come along, then comes along this Jamaican, God has a sense of humor. And I imagine a time will come when God will call a woman to be the senior pastor of this church. That time is coming. God has a sense of humor. And we've got to break out of these divisive categories that we've put ourselves in.
come back to the basics of Christianity. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. And we belong together. And if we lose that, doesn't matter how much money we have, how beautiful our building is, it'll still fall apart. The glue that holds us together is that sense of belonging. So for those of you watching online, for those of you who are thinking, first prayers, I, I don't want to be part of first prayers anymore, I want to challenge you. Drop your consumerism. Roll up your sleeves. Stop the whining. Stop the pettiness. And say, you know what? We're going to together build the work that God has called us to do. So I'm going to close with this huge ask that I have for you. And this is going to be huge. This is going to be a test of our sense of belonging. I want, to jo I want to ask you to join me in an activity that I and others who have helped put this together believe that this will be for the common good. This is going to be good for us. And, and I even told myself that no one gets a pass on this. In fact, last month at our elders' meeting, I told our elders that you guys don't get a pass on this. I told our staff, you guys don't get a pass on this. And I'm saying it to our deacons, if you can hear me. I'm saying it to our trustees, if you can hear me. You don't get a pass on this. I'm saying it to every person here this morning, and those of you who are watching me online, whether you're a member or not, you don't get a pass on this. That if you really care about the rebuilding that sense of community and being a visible light to our surrounding neighbors, then I'm going to ask you to join me in doing what the early Christian did, Christians did in the book of Acts. They broke bread together, and it says that they ate their meals with glad and sincere hearts. A very simple but powerful activity that enriched their community, and we want for our community to be equally enriched. And so with the help of our staff and with the help of a, a couple key leaders from our congregation, we are launching what's called Koinonia Meals. The Greek word koinonia simply means to, to hold all things in common. It, it, it means fellowship. Fellowship. And today I'm asking you if you would join me and sign up to share a meal and get to know others in our beloved FPCE community. Sign up. It starts today. And there are three locations. As you walk out those doors, there'll be somebody back there to help you sign up. If you go by the front desk, you can sign up, and of course, we're going to go upstairs and have some coffee and go on to Sunday school, and you will have an opportunity to sign up. These meals are going to start in June, June, July, August. It can happen in your home. It can happen in the park. It can happen here at the church. It can happen just wherever you want to gather with people and share a meal. It can be a potluck. It can be a takeout order. Each group of three to five family units, depending on the number of family members there are in that unit, we will help the hosts to subsidize that meal with a gift card. We're actually going to give you a gift card to help defray some of the costs. The only way this is going to work, though, is if we, 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 we come out of our enclaves, we come out of our business and say, you know what? Being together as God's church is one of the most important things we need to do in this cycle that we're in as a country. We need strong churches, strong believers making a difference. So I need you to sign up today. Our goal is 100 people in our church. I want to make it bigger. 150, 200 people scattered all over our community.
gathering, practicing the way of Jesus, breaking bread together, and strengthening the bonds of belonging. I wonder if you would help me do that. I wonder if, I would, if you could just step out of your routines and join us in doing that. I hope you'll do that. Please do that. Please sign up. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your church. We love your church, O oh God. We love your people, O oh God. We are not perfect. We stumble. We become petty. We become divisive. But Lord, we thank you that you are patient. And we pray that you will help us to be the body of Christ together. And we pray this 